With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice and to love kindness, to walk humbly with your God. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who were selling and buying in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. He said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the and lame came to him in the temple, and he cured them. One Sabbath day, as Jesus was teaching in a synagogue, he saw a woman who had been crippled by an evil spirit. But the leader in charge of the synagogue was indignant that Jesus had healed her on the Sabbath day. There are six days of the week for working, he said to the crowd. Come on those days to be healed, not on the Sabbath. But the Lord replied, You hypocrites! Each of you works on the Sabbath day. Don't you untie your ox or your donkey from its stall on the Sabbath and lead it out for water? This dear woman, a daughter of Abraham, has been held in bondage by Satan for 18 years. Isn't it right that she be released even on the Sabbath? The word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be be to to God. God. The scriptures that you just heard are samplings. They are not one story. They are four different moments in the life of the teachings and ministry of Jesus Christ. They are selected not because they are the best ones to use, but rather because they are one of many that we can turn to that help us focus on what we're thinking about today, which is that for Christians, justice is not an option. Gracious and loving God, I am humbled and blessed so powerfully this week by your power, your presence, and the world depends upon it. For so much, as has always been the case, is out of control and out of our control. And we yearn to help create an order in the world, a place in the world where your kingdom reigns. We begin with our own heart, the ordering of our own lives, the ordering of our community of faith. We even dare to offer the world to you, and we dare to enter into it with the hope and promise that you will go with us, making your promises real, your wishes fulfilled, and extending to all around us 
power, hope, and justice and mercy that your word provides. We pray that you'll bless us in the hearing of today's message and the receiving of this sacrament that all of it might speak and move in our lives as you intend. In the name of Christ. I want to make sure that you've followed the thread. We are in the fourth week of a series called The Faith That Jesus Intended. And the intent in starting this series was to help us focus very clearly on what is it ultimately that Jesus is asking us to do? What is it that, just, that Jesus is asking us to become? What kind of community of faith is Jesus asking for his followers to create? And trying to get to the central teachings of Jesus, which in some ways requires us to unpack, to take off all the layers that oftentimes we put on what it means to be a Christian. So far I've guided you through three messages, and those have simply said that the core message of Jesus in the first one is this. You're called to love God, love self, and love your neighbors, including your enemies. We then from there went on to talk about which Jesus do we follow, recognizing that there are multiple kinds of Jesus portrayed in and followed in the world. We all in some ways try to make Jesus into our own image. We try to make Jesus relevant to our lives, so we put on Jesus the kinds of things that we assume or that we accept as basic. Everyone gets this. Well, maybe the truth is the work we have to do is get to the Jesus who really is with us, not the one we want to make him to be, and that maybe ultimately the Jesus that we follow is not known so much in the words that we say or the positions we take, but in the life that we live. And then last week we talked about faith, as Jesus intended, is spiritually faithful. We talked about what does it mean to be spiritual but not religious, And in fact, we decided, or at least I decided for you, how you like that? (laughs) I told you what to think. And that is the fact that we are all spiritual beings. Certainly that's true. But I believe the spirituality that Jesus Christ is calling us to is not about a personal trip towards some self-actualization, but an acknowledgement of the fact that we are spiritual beings, that the God who calls us invites us to walk a walk that speaks to what we feel as much as what we know, speaks to our experience of life as much as the positions and attitudes that we hold on to, and that the spirituality of Jesus Christ has always, always called us to be in relationship to each other and to others. The spiritual walk, the spiritual path with Jesus is always a corporate one. Jesus always intended it for us to learn and gain from each other what it is we need to know become a full spiritual being. Having said those things, I want to now add to this, add to those things this layer. That Jesus believed that justice was not an option for his followers. Jesus assumed that a justice ministry, a justice perspective of the world, was a part of what it would mean to be faithful. He did this because he was simply bringing forth his own tradition. In the very earliest writings of the scriptures, God has always been caring about justice, caring about those who are the have-nots, caring about those who are the dismissed. 
That's why very early in, in, Judaism, in Hebrew scriptures, we hear Jesus, or hear God, uh, telling uh, God's people, when an alien resides with you in your land, you shall not oppress the alien. The alien who resides with you shall be to you as a citizen among you. You shall love the alien as yourself, for you were aliens in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. How's that for an immigration policy? Pretty straightforward. We're no longer to look at those who are not us as something different than us. God's word provides space where we create an opportunity for people who are traveling through our land, traveling through our lives, sojourners, to know that they are accepted, loved, respected, and honored as fellow children of God. The concern for a stranger and the alien is repeated theme throughout the Torah. In Deuteronomy, God loves the strangers, providing them food and clothing. You shall also love the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. God came to us first and offered to us justice and mercy and hope and a new future. Because that was the foundation of the relationship we have with God, because it was the expectation early on of what God expected God's people to do, Jesus brought forward out of his own tradition this very clear teaching that he felt was at the core of what it meant to be faithful. We are to practice justice. In fact, Jesus even went back into his own tradition and brought two pieces together that before hadn't been quite as tightly woven as he wove them. What is the greatest commandment, he asked, when the lawyer was interviewing him? Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Right? You know that. All of the people around Jesus, when he said that, would have known that. That's core to their faith. And then... Jesus borrowed from another portion of the scripture. Bring together these two things together as intimate and intertwined in a way in which they never had been before. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus could not get his head around or would not be interested in getting his head around an understanding of the fact that somehow you would come to God and be alienated from the neighbors in your life. And of course, you know Jesus, he doesn't stop there. He begins to identify who are your neighbors. And in that dialogue, breaks all of our expectations. He's not talking about the people across the fence, people across the road, the people within the school system our kids go to, the people within the political party that we support, the people who racially, culturally look like us, the people who salute the flag that we salute, Rather, old people are our neighbors. Jesus is very clear to say, if you're going to follow me, justice is not an option. Justice is who we are. It's really what I've come to give you, he says. I've come to give you new beginning, new opportunity, new life. I've come to you when you didn't deserve it. Because it's not about deserving God's love. It's about the fact that God just loves you. Quite frankly, even on days when any rational God would say, that's not a very lovable person. In similar fashion, 
And for us, the extending of justice is never about giving to people who we think deserve justice. It's a way of living. When Jesus goes on to talk about this, he goes even further to say, I want you to get this. You can't come to God unless you also understand that by coming to God, you have to go to those in your life, your neighbors, your family. He teaches this. He says, it's in Matthew 5, but I say to you, if you are angry with a brother or sister, you'll be liable to judgment, and if you insult a brother or sister, you'll be liable to the council, and if you say, you fool, you'll be liable to the hell of fire. So when you are offering your gift at the altar, you remember that your, that your brother or sister has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. Jesus assumes if you're going to come into the presence of God, reconciliation with your brother or sister, biological or not, is necessary. Now, I want to say a word about that. Over the years, I've heard people take that passage and do with it something I think God does not intend, that Jesus never meant to teach. I've heard people say, well, I cannot approach God because I still think my brother's a fool. I I can't come and take communion because I still have this, this problem in my relationships or I'm not at one with everyone in my life and so I'm not worthy of taking communion. I'm not worthy of going to worship. I'm not worthy of leading worship. I'm not worthy of preaching. Well, let me tell you this. If God were waiting for everyone to get their act together before they came to God, there'd be nobody here to preach to you this morning. There'd be nobody here to pray with this morning. There'd be nobody here to sit with this morning. not assume that you get your life together, that you reconcile your relationships before you come to God. It's pretty clear, at least in my own experience, that I'm not really good at getting my relationships together the way they should be with others until I first get together with God. So for all of you out there who've been taught somehow, I can't take communion today, or I can't really, you know, lead worship, or I I can't do anything in the church because if they really knew about my life, we know about your life. I don't know the specifics, I don't know the details, and i got nothing to gossip on you about. But I know my life, and I know a few other people's lives, and you're not any different than them. And God knows your life. So never let this teaching be a barrier for you coming to receive the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. Come receive that. But then Jesus says you have to go and apply that in the places where there is brokenness, where there are people who are not reconciled, and where there are people who are not being treated justly. That has to follow reconciliation with God. Jesus was pretty clear that justice is not an option for those of us who would choose to follow him. But the place that I think this sermon changed for me was, we all get that. We all sort of understand, you're supposed to be good boys and girls. We all get the fact that 
You know, really, if you're a Christian, you ought to do nice things for people, even sometimes when you surprise them with it. That's the moralism of Christianity. So we walk out of church Sunday after Sunday, year after year, century after century, and think that what Jesus is saying is, you know, Christians ought to be good people, taking care of the folks around them that need being taken care of. It makes sense that we would fill up food bags for hungry children in the community. Is anybody going to argue that today? Pretty easy, pretty easy program to sell. And we sell it by even making sure we have cute children hand out the bags. Go ahead and say no. <laughs> of course it's easy. But I don't think Jesus was inviting us just to be good people who do the most obvious good. There's value in that. That's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is not talking about, I need you to be good people. Jesus is talking about, I need you to be the people of God who are intentionally seeking out and will untirelessly work, tirelessly work for justice wherever it needs to be lived out. In Luke chapter 10, you have the story of the Good Samaritan. You know the story? Rabbi Levi and a Samaritan walk into a bar. I mean, are going down a road. Uh, if you want to look it up, it's on page 71 of the Pew Bible in front of you. It's okay. If, if you get caught looking at a Bible during worship here, um, we, we, we'll just tell them you're Baptist. It's okay. Um, but but in, in Luke chapter 10, on page 71 of the New Testament, in verse 25, he starts and he says, uh, this is where you get this dialogue between Jesus and the lawyer. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What's written there? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says to the lawyer, you've given the right answer. Go do this and you will live. But then wanting to justify justify himself, he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? I love this lawyer. He will not stop asking questions that make him look brilliant. <laughs> lawyers are great lawyers because they ask questions that wear you down. One of my two daughters I was convinced was going to be a lawyer. From her earliest age, the questions would not stop. Even after she had lost the argument, she would wear you down. Question after question after question. Have you raised any of those children? Some of you are those children, I can tell you that. But it's not just lawyers. It's all of us. We get to the place of faith and we wonder, well, really, how does this apply? Jesus, what did, you, did you really mean here? I mean, let's, let's cut to the chase. What's the bottom line? Is a position that we often take as disciples around issues of justice. How far must we go? He tells this story. About a man going to Jerusalem, from Jerusalem to Jericho. He's beaten up by robbers, left half, half dead. Now the priest goes by, passes him. Then a Levite, who's another leader in temple worship, goes by. Passism. And then a Samaritan, and let's be clear, Samaritans would have been 
the Taliban. Samaritan would have been a leader of ISIS. Just so you get the offense the disciples would have heard when they heard this one. So a leader of ISIS goes by and sees this guy in the ditch. And he heals, the, takes care of the man, bandages his wounds, pours oil and wine in, the, wine in them. And then he takes him to a place of shelter and safety, makes sure that there is enough money put up so the man will be taken care of. And Jesus says, so which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Jesus changes the question. Who is my neighbor was the question. And we oftentimes get into that debate. And we think, well, who is our neighbor? We, we're logical. We, we think rationally. So we look across the street or over the fence. And we look in our town or in our school district or in our country. And by saying who is our neighbor, we're also pretty clear to say who is not our neighbor. Who are the people we're not willing to let into our neighborhoods? Who are the people we want to build a wall against to keep out of our country? Who are the people we don't want to be engaged with? Who are the people we want, to, we want to talk about in a way that says they are so horrible, the best thing we could do would be to blast them, their country, and any innocence around them into the holy hell? Jesus, that's not the question. Not who is your neighbor, but who... Which of these three do you think was a neighbor? Determined by how they acted. Not by their culture and not by their address. Who are they? The obvious answer is, of course, the one who acted with mercy. Who showed compassion. Who took risk. For the mere simple sake of caring for someone else who was in need. Justice, as Jesus defined it, is not about doing good alone. It's about seeing with a particular vision. The people of God are not called simply to be do-gooders. They're called to be people with a vision, who look around the world and see places where there is justice, see people who are lying in the road, beaten and bloodied, seeing people who do not have the same advantages as we do, and who say, those are our people They will be our brothers and sisters, and we will serve them for the sake of Jesus Christ. Justice for Jesus is not about taking care of the people it's easy to take care of. It's looking out the world and saying, we will stand up for the people no one else will stand up for. You want to be my people as a community of faith? Take up. Collections for food, for children who will be hungry during spring break. Of course, that makes perfect sense. But also, what are you doing to identify the people that you can reach out to who live in poverty on a regular basis? What are you doing to befriend them and not objectify them? What are you doing to understand at a very personal level the life experience of others and then living into that personal experience, adjusting your life experience so they can live with greater opportunity and justice? This goes beyond politics. For us as Christians, we are called to have this vision of justice that so has nothing to do with the political dilemmas within our country today. This is not about what we think. So often what I'm hearing now in the political rhetoric, both on my TV screen 
but also in other places where I hear people talk about this and the discourse and social media. It's all about what do we think. What's my position? Jesus isn't asking about what you think. He's asking about what do you experience. What do you experience of God's grace and mercy? What is your experience of the people to whom you see there's injustice? How have you as a community gotten to know them, know their life, know what they're going through? And out of that common humanity, out of that common understanding of our vulnerability and our strengths, how do we live in partnership with them so that their children will be able to be treated like our children? It's about vision. And it's not about a political party or any one political candidate. I had a great conversation recently. I am so, so honored to have been in this conversation. There's a family that's been coming to our church recently, and they wanted to come sort of get into that second layer of conversation with me. And this happens a lot, and I love it. When people say, hey, we like the church so far. Things are going well. We, we think we like some of what you say. Um, but, you know, we really want to know what you're about, and so let's get into it. And so when that question comes up, I think that's fantastic. And the question that this person posed to me was not an uncommon question I get, and that was, we've been in other churches, and they became really political, and, and I just want to know if you're going to start preaching politics from the pulpit. That's a fair question, don't you think? I said, well, no, I can't. I'm a Democrat in northern Oakland County. There's no way I can get away with that. (laughs) Now, what I really said was, I said, listen, I think my call is to preach justice. I think my call is to help us hear what Jesus cared about. And to get all of us to understand that we are called to care about issues of justice. I don't hang my hat. I have strong opinions. Of course I do. I know how I'm going to vote. You probably do too. But I, never, I can't find it here where it says, my goal is to get you to vote for somebody. But I see here pretty clearly it tells me, are we going to be a people of justice? Are you going to understand... That here to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you have to intimately come to know Jesus Christ. To love God, love self, and love your neighbors, including your enemies. You have to get to know who is the Jesus that you follow. What Jesus do you represent? And is it the one who really exists or the one that you are happy with? Are you spiritually alive? And not just, clear I believe these things, I think Jesus would agree with me on 60%. And what are you going to do as a people of God and as individuals of God to see the world through the visions of justice? Apart from the rhetoric and the posturing, when you see somebody hurting regardless of who they are, what are we going to do to make sure they don't keep hurting in all the manners in which people hurt today? This is who we are. And everything we do that excludes people from understanding that this is a place of safety, this is a place of mercy, this is a place of acceptance, 
And I don't care about who you are as you walk in the door, because quite frankly, if they were doing a, screen, a hard screening on all of us before we walked in the door, most of us would have never attempted to come through the door, and some of us wouldn't have passed. Amen? It's a concept that comes out of the Middle Ages. It's the concept of sanctuary. The concept that you could come into a church and into a room like this and you would be protected against all human laws. Here in this place, you would be living virtually in the kingdom of God and no one could arrest you, no one could attack you, no one could hurt you in this place. It was sanctuary. Jesus is calling the people of God to go out into the world and create places of sanctuary. So that when we feed a child this spring break, who will have lunch because you're willing to go to the grocery store and buy extra groceries, they're safer. So the children in our church, the youth in our church, who are growing up struggling with all the issues they're struggling with, will understand this is a safe place to struggle with those issues. And they will be loved. And so the children in the world around us who have no one supporting them or caring about how they deal with their issues will one day discover this is a place and you are a people wherever you are, wherever you are, that will offer justice and sanctuary just because that's who you are. Recently, one of our high school youth who I happen to love a lot was writing about his faith, and I was privileged to receive his writing, and he talked about the fact what matters the most to him in the church is this, or at least what has impacted him the most. He said, when, when we get together for communion at our church, it's an open table. I was excited he even knew what that meant, because he'd been listening. Because what that means is everyone's welcome at this table. No one cares what member of the church, what church you're a member of. No one cares even necessarily what you believe because this isn't about theology alone or belief alone. This is about an experience of entering into the presence of Jesus Christ. And we don't exclude anybody. Y'all can come. You all could go out right now and find someone else in the community, drag them in here and say, hey, take communion with me. We'd serve them. I don't care who they are. This is our foundational meal. This is our key sacrament along with baptism. This is what this church is. And this is who you are. People have been invited to a table, regardless of where you've been or where you come from or where you're headed, stop in and be a part of the presence of Jesus Christ. That's the justice Jesus is talking about. And when you go out, Whoever you engage with, whoever you talk with, whoever you see, wherever they are, whatever need they have, they're welcome too. Because you see, for Jesus, justice was not an option. It's not an option for you either. If you want to claim him as your Lord. So in a few minutes, this table will be open and you're all welcome to come forward. Come greedily. Come hungrily, come with passion, get fed. Because God is building you up to go out to the masses 
who will need the kind of justice you alone can offer in the name of Christ. Thank you.